From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you checking out this transmission via one of our affiliate stations, now about 40 across North America. Of course, the Conspiracy Show app, free download, the YouTube channel. Please hit the sub button. We're getting close to 8,000 subs. All of our loyal listeners in the uh, the live chat who join us each and every week, however and wherever you're listening and watching, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Ed Komarek is standing by to talk about wildfires. What's causing them? He says it is a rabid fire suppression culture, which is largely responsible for the the wildfires that we are seeing throughout the world today. It's not directed energy weapons, folks. It's not climate change. It's fire suppression culture, where these frequent controlled fires and fire management and using fire uh, in a responsible way to clear out deadwood and so forth and underbrush, that's all been uh, gotten rid of. Remember those Smokey the Bear... Uh, campaigns. That's all uh, contributing to the intensity of wildfires that we're seeing today, and it's just a matter of time before all of this latent energy in forests all over the world, and particularly here in North America, that someone decides to light the fuse that will cause such a catastrophic wildfire that the world has never seen. You could have an entire city going up. How long would it take for a large metropolitan center once a wildfire takes hold and is uncontrollable at this point. We're seeing a wall of fire hundreds of feet high, and it starts descending on a city. How long would it take for a major metropolitan center to go up in flames, Ed? Not very long. That's the problem. People can check with their local uh, governments and whatever and see what kind of vulnerabilities they have, and you can search the Internet on the cities, uh, how vulnerable they are. And if they're vulnerable, they need to get out there and start lobbying their leaders the political leaders and whatever, to get the money to get these prescribed fire buffers put in and, and also hardened homes. Now, Jerry Brown and the legislature in California authorized a billion dollars over five years, but that's just a drop in a bucket to do these things. It's going to take a lot more than that. It's going to take $100 billion probably more, you know, over 10, 15, 20 years or even longer to get these ecosystems back into natural balance again. First, you've got to deal with the wildfire problem. So you've got to deal with wildfire mitigation, which means you've got to get the debris out of these, burn the debris out of these forests very carefully, because once you have a lot of debris, it can get away from you very quickly. And so it's not easy to burn the first time. And also you can get what we call duff fires around the base of the tree. The fire can go through cool, and you don't think you've burned any trees, but that duff starts burning, that debris that comes from the bark falling down around the base of the tree starts burning like a fuse and it'll girdle your trees and a year or two later you'll have a bunch of dead trees. So you got, it's very, it's a very delicate process and it takes a lot of skill to remove these huge accumulations of fuel. But it's got to be done and it's going to be expensive and people have to pay a lot of money for it. It's a lot better to do that now than to pay later. Then you're going to run headlong into the environmentalists who are saying, we can't have all of these controlled fires all over North America to clear out this dead brush because you're going to contribute to greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide and so forth. I don't know 
how you're going to fight these people that that it's well, become a, a religion. A lot of problems with smoke is people get a little smoke in the city because they're so diverse. You know, here down the southeast United States, states it pops in with smoke. People are used to it; it's no big deal. In the western United States, they get a little smoke or they get some ashes in their swimming pool or, or whatever, and they get upset and they talk to the politicians, and it makes prescribed burning very difficult. So you've got the regulatory hurdles that are in place, and you've got the environmentalists who have been propagandized just like everybody else by Smokey the Bear, but they've done studies on it and that prescribed fires don't really add to the carbon in the atmosphere like catastrophic fires do and the debris that builds up. That debris is either going to rot down, which is going to put carbon in the atmosphere, or it's going to burn and fertilize the soil for new growth to come up for wildlife and plants and whatever. So these fire-adapted ecosystems need fire in order to survive, and we have degraded them to such a point that we've lost a lot of these ecosystems, and now we're going to, once we get the wildfire problem under control, we've got to start rebuilding these ecosystems, and that's going to be a, a difficult process because you've got a lot of invasive species now. We could actually put Pangea back together again, you know, by moving plants and animals and diseases from all over the world, you know, spreading them out back to almost like a continent supercontinent coming back together again you know? right and right. that just created a lot of trauma you know for all the different species that are not as adapted to it say as an invasive species from china or somewhere else in the, in the world and whatever so we create a huge amount of environmental damage and it's back to a culture it's even existential because our very existence depends upon us understanding why and how nature works and to work in harmony with nature rather than to see nature as a resource to be exploited and dominated because nature is going to come back and bite us and it's doing that right now with the wildfires and it's doing it more subtler ways in the eastern United States. We've got to get back in touch with nature. We've got to re-educate ourselves about the importance of fire in nature. We've got to get rid of the Smokey the Bear propaganda that's been spent billions of dollars on these propaganda campaigns to get people to put out forest fires and let this debris build up the way it Right. Way it I has. want to come back to a point you made earlier, which I found very intriguing. You mentioned something like, on average, 100 firefighters every year are charged with arson. Yeah. Now, now, that's not just wildlife firefighters. That's all firefighters. Right. Why is that? What's going on there? Do you have any theory as to why? They discuss it on Wikipedia. Some of it, the firefighters are just bored. They want some excitement. Some of them want to extend the fire season a little bit so they can work a little longer. It's just typical, you know, human motivations, and most of the firefighters are really good folks and very capable and whatever, but just like in anything else, you've got a few bad apples, and a few bad apples can cause a lot of trouble. And especially when they're skilled, and putting out fires and laying fires and backfires and whatever to protect cities and stuff and whatever. They develop all the skills but easily become a pyroterrorist. They go from becoming just arsonists to become pyroterrorists. The ignition is not the problem again. The problem is the fuel. Once you get the fuel accumulations down, then you don't have to worry about ignitions. And ignition in a prescribed fire zone isn't going to do anything. It's not going to climb up into the crowns of the trees and create a catastrophic wildfire. It's going to burn along the ground. It'll be easy to put out or it'll just go out on its own because there's nothing to burn. So if climate change is a problem, you know, why does a wildfire when it hits a prescribed fire zone uh, go out or fizzles? Because you burn the debris out under damp, cool conditions, 
in a very careful way so there's nothing to burn in a drought, no matter if climate change created the drought or whatever created the child. There's nothing to burn there because you've got the fuel accumulation step. Right. But when the fuel accumulations are up, then maybe climate change is having an effect. What about fires that go underground? I've heard that fires can burn underground for years and then pop up somewhere else. Down in coal seams and that sort of thing. But but even as prescribed, it gets people doing prescribed fire fit. There was a prescribed fires down here in my area where it burns in the peat under the fire line and comes up the other side two weeks later to start a catastrophic fire on the other side of the fire line. Peat fires will burn all summer long, you know, like in Oak Finoki Swamp, but that's important for a fire to burn in Oak Finoki Swamp because it burns out all the peat and whatever, and it cleans the Oak Finoki Swamp up, and, and you have a lot of open water and, and everything else that's been being turned into a peat bog all gets burned out. So... It's very healthy for the wildlife and whatever. Even a peat fire is very healthy in a wetland because it burns out all the debris and accumulations of peat and whatever. So fire goes back almost, you know, 500 million years in the Carboniferous. Palm trees are very fire-hardened. I've seen them where they've been almost burned from really hot fires almost completely through, and they're still alive. Amazing. And, How did you get involved? And, I, mean, I know your father was a fire ecologist. How did you learn about all of this. The depth of your knowledge is remarkable. I grew up in a fire environment. As soon as I could walk, I was out there riding on the tractor, trying to drive the tractor, you know, sitting in my dad's lap, plowing fire lanes and getting out and lighting fires when I could barely walk. And so I developed the skills from mentoring. And this is what Native peoples do. Native peoples taught their children and the children taught their children whatever. So this knowledge of how to use fire as a tool handed down from generation to generation, and so that's what happened to me. And you just can't get that from academia. You can't get that from classes and whatever. You've no. got to get out there in the woods and spend a larger part of your life out there in the woods. I'm feeling you know, on Plantation is, was our plantation. It's the nature center now. It's 565 acres. I was probably over every square foot of that as a kid, you know, whatever. I knew just about every tree, every little habitat or every little micro-ecosystem there. And so when I let a fire through there, that one area I want to burn hotter, I, I burn it with a head fire, and then I set it up where the fire backs through or some small pines or whatever that I don't want the fire to hurt. And so very carefully created all these little uh, micro habitats and ecosystems and whatever. And that's how and St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge is way ahead of a lot of the government agencies. They're protecting a endangered salamander that relies on fire to burn out these little peat bogs and stuff where the salamander is almost completely wiped out because of fire suppression and whatever. Right. And, and we've got to take a break, Ed. We've got to take a time out. Uh, well, fire has the ability to destroy but also create. We're going to switch gears when we come back. It's Ed Komarek, back with more in a moment on The Conspiracy Show. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know Behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Ed Komarek. We have been talking about uh, wildfires and how fire suppression has contributed to the severity of wildfires, and he's warning of a possible terrorist attack utilizing a massive wildfire. Ed, I, I wanted to move on. I know you don't like to mix the two, but I sort of left that behind, and I wanted to talk about how you say that our leaders in the world had they not failed us back in the 40s and 50s, you sort of say that we would have this positive vision of Star Trek. It could have been our present-day reality. 
You talk about this in UFOs, exopolitics, and the, the new world disorder. Talk to me a little bit about what happened, do you think, in the 40s and 50s that prevented this positive vision of a Star Trek world? Well, if you think fire, you know, we've created a catastrophic situation with fire. Holy moly, you know, when you get into extraterrestrial contact and the suppression of the truth involved with that, you've actually completely suppressed a culture much like what happened in Russia where they separated their people from the outside world during the Soviet Union's existence and whatever. It's just hard to conceive of how devastating it's been. And before I get into it, though, let's, uh, you've got up on your website the links uh, on the fire book and the, uh, my other books. You can get into them through my uh, portal website, kamarik.weebly.com slash, or you can go to the fire book and the UFO book is there as well as the Enlightenment book. And people can easily contact me if they want to ask questions on Facebook. I'm on Facebook, and I also run the, the group Association of Fire Management Activists that people can join and keep up on what's going on with prescribed fire and wildfire, not just in the United States, but around the world. But what happened, again, as I discussed about fire, is that in order to come up with a remedy, a doctor... You can't even get to see a doctor until you've filled out a form on your patient history because the causes of your illness may go back in time into the history. And so just like we've tried to talk a little bit about fire or about the history of fire and whatever because it's important to find a remedy and a cure by going back into history and finding the, the real causes and then develop a remedy. And a whole nother can of worms is the situation involving UFOs, extraterrestrial contact, and suppression of the truth of that. And that really started in earnest. It was ongoing even before the 40s. Apparently, Germany was uh, reverse engineering um, spacecraft involved with exotic propulsion systems even before World War II and then during World War II. And they even came up with uh, an aggravated craft, apparently, but they couldn't use it because basically in order to create anti-gravity and also electromagnetic propulsion, you have to have these really large capacitors and you have to have a, a really powerful power source to power these capacitors. So they could power up their craft, send it up, but it's going to come back down in 15 or 20 minutes because as, as the capacitor is discharged, they didn't have a compact enough power plant in order to um, uh, power this craft. And it wasn't until uh, the United States had compact nuclear weapons, the Navy developed compact uh, uh, power plants for ships and and even spacecraft, even working on spacecraft and stuff like that. So they developed, a, 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 by the late 1950s, uh, people started that were involved in these classified programs of talk. So you have a really timeline all the way from when the Germans got in, into reverse engineering these technologies and then all the way up to the 40s and the 50s. And by 1959, they were, we were flying our own craft that had nuclear power plants, power plants inside. And then that was the beginning of what we call the secret space fleet that's been, been, uh, developing ever since, and now apparently they have carrier craft in space as well as scout ships and all these other different things, and it's all being kept from the public. And when President Trump says, 
Trump says that we're going to have a, uh, a space uh, force or whatever. Well, we've already got it. They're just trying to legitimize it. Right. And, this is part of control uh, disclosure. Yeah, yeah. And so because of these technologies, uh, the problem was in the 1940s and 50s, the elite that really run the world, the financiers, like J.P. Morgan told uh, Nikola Tesla that uh, if I can't put a, uh, a meter on it, I don't want to have nothing to do with it. Right, because Tesla you know? had figured yeah. out a way to, tra- to yeah. transmit electricity yeah. Yeah. wirelessly. Yeah. 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 yeah, and so in the 1950s, this type, all this got suppressed. You know, because it would completely revolutionize not only just energy, it would really revolutionize, uh, you wouldn't have any, you wouldn't have fossil fuels, so you wouldn't have the climate change problem we had and all environmental destruction, whatever, because you would have gone to a very clean, exotic energy, uh, energy that wouldn't have cost very much, basically just taking energy out of space to make, uh, same way some of these spacecraft are piloted and whatever. And then you wouldn't have highways and bridges and asphalt and whatever because you would have you would have uh, the Jetsons kind of of, of of flying cars that were anti-gravity cars and whatever. So that's all that cement companies, asphalt companies. Okay, you wouldn't have it completely revolutionized medical and all the pharmaceutical industry would be be out. You have you know radiant uh, healing and all kinds of different things that ETs use and. What not and all this kind of stuff. So that'll all be out. So right off the bat, the elite who had their people in the intelligence community when the, when the crash at Roswell happened and even before that realized that they were going to lose control over this planet and control over the people if this knowledge came out and they would lose trillions of dollars. And so they decided to suppress it so they wouldn't lose the trillions of dollars, you know, you know whatever, because this is what happens is in the society uh, a civilization builds up on innovation, but that innovation eventually develops entrenched interests, and those entrenched interests then suppress new innovation, and that causes a decline in society, societies like Greece and Rome and whatever. So it's happening. We're getting a decline in society because these special interests have suppressed all this information, and if it ever does come out, it's going to be worse than a catastrophic wildfire. You're going to you're going to you're going to have you're going to have a truth. Uh, uh, con- conflagration, you know, because it's going to shake people up so bad because the whole monetary system is based upon, uh, fossil fuels and, and, uh, cars and all these other things and whatever. And they can't possibly allow that truth to, to come out because, because it would revolutionize everything. And not only that, we would have some extraterrestrials are very advanced, ethically advanced, and we would have extraterrestrial role models. We'd see how these extraterrestrials really live, and we're going to be like people in Syria. We want to get out. We, we want to go to, to, to the United States. We want to go to Europe because, you know, it, and so, so that can't be allowed to happen under the current power structure. So, right. When was the decision, do you think, to monopolize extraterrestrial technologies made? Was it after Roswell? Uh, it was gradual. Apparently, there were crashes. Uh, Roosevelt was, you know, in the Roosevelt administration, they had a crash. They had something in the some stuff in the basement of the White House, I think. But it really was an earth. Uh, Roswell was a big wake-up call, and it almost got out at Roswell. So they really had to tighten up on security. And the reason that in Watergate they called them plumbers was because plumbers fix leaks. 
And so you have billions of dollars that are used to keep this stuff classified and make sure that it doesn't leak out to the public. And if it does leak out to the public, to discredit those people that are leaking it or even killing them in some extent, in instance and whatever, because trillions of dollars are involved in suppressing a technology, but trillions of dollars are involved in reverse engineering these technologies and, and, and putting them in the marketplace and in the defense industry and whatever. So it's just like everything else, just all the money. It's all about money and money and power over other people. And, and so do the, do the, 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 the corporations and the, the owners of these corporations that have access to this technology, would you agree with someone like Richard Dolan who say they constitute a separate, almost a breakaway civilization? Yeah, yeah, I, I very much agree with Richard Dolan on that. He's a credible individual in the field. Unfortunately, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that aren't credible. But Richard Richard Dolan is is, cre- is a credible individual, and the stuff that he talks about, I talk about too. You know, in, in my Exopolitics book. And by the way, all my books are free. People can go on the internet and read them on their cell phones or on their computer, as well as articles and. And whatever, because I made them free because I didn't want to write this stuff and not have you know not have people read them. And I've been very appreciative of my mentors all through my life, not only just on in fire, but in but in in uh, existential things and in enlightenment and whatever. And so before while I was still capable, I wanted to put what I knew in these three areas that I was very knowledgeable of. And make it available to the public because I kind of feel like we're the fruit prize of the galaxy. And if you're the fruit prize of the galaxy, you can mutate pretty fast, but it's imperative that you tra- be able to transfer good quality information to the young all the time to be able to build your civilization up to the point where you have thousand year lifespans like some of these extraterrestrial humans have. And so, uh, Paul Hillier is another person, you know, the defense minister in Canada. Yes. Has talked about there's a number of different extraterrestrial races, and he knows about the tall whites and others and whatever. But, but like this Lewis that came, that came out with uh, these uh, gun camera photos around the Nimitz, and, uh, and this all come out, and, you know, uh, here in the last couple of years or whatever, he says the people that know what's going on can't talk, and the people that don't know are free to just, to clutter up and trash the whole subject, and that just fits right into into the cut into the cover up because people are are unable to discriminate. They don't have the the scientific or the intelligence of gathering knowledge. You know, I I studied intelligence gathering, CIA intelligence gathering, and other intelligence agencies. Basically, you gather as much evidence as you can. And you compile it, and then you and then you analyze it and look for patterns, especially between uh, different isolated individuals and whatever. So I came to my understanding of extraterrestrial contact and all the different extraterrestrials that are interacting with us here on Earth and whatever from like uh, um, better, uh, um, uh, 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 um, I'm Albert, um, whatever who. Uh, compiled 15 to 20,000 humanoid cases that go all the way back in, into the late 1800s even. And if you take all of that's just ordinary people and farmers and stuff that ran into a craft that was sampling from soil or doing sampling water down about a creek or something like that, you know, there's no story there. They just encountered these uh, extraterrestrial people, and quite a few of them are human. And you take all those and you compile all those thousands of cases and you can get a pretty good idea of what 
going on in a broad sense, but as far as the detail about the cultures of the different extraterrestrial types, you can't get that. The only one I'm really confident about is Charles Hall and the Tall Whites. The other ones I'm fairly wary about because usually what happens with a scammer does is he start he builds up starts building a story it's just storytelling and he draws his he draws the people to him and whatever as he can concoct his story and it makes it dramatic and whatever and it goes on and on and on and you know and whatever in order to manipulate and control people either for money or for fame right. or but whatever. I, I, let me just stop you let me just, just jump in here Ed for a second. Let me just jump in here. <laughs> uh, and you you talk about sort of a uh, this spiritually enlightened race of aliens, but uh, what evidence is there there that they are ethical, uh, at least the, the races of aliens that are interacting with us? Uh, because surely that you know they must have struck some sort of a a treaty uh, or a technological transfer agreement with these elites. So we're certainly not it's certainly not coming down into the you know to the public realm. Uh, we're not. We don't have access to this technology. Yes. So yes. why yes. would you? Why do you? What would lead you to believe these alien races are, are ethical if they are striking these agreements? Okay. Remember, it's very complex. You have some some extraterrestrials like the Greys that are that are involved in these secret agreements and whatever that basically don't think much of our human rights. You know, they think of us. You know, one time I looked up at the sky and I asked. You know, when I was a young man, I asked. You know. Who are you? And they, and they, I didn't like the answer that came down. It says, we are to you as you are to your garden. <laughs> that tells right. you a lot. That's the, that's the graves. But the graves aren't the only ones that are here. And so you've got to understand that, 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 that there are bukus of planetary systems and life is evolving on all these planetary systems all over the universe. And some of them are coming here, and some of them, you know, nat- the, there's certain structures of nature. You know, you start off with single-cell organisms, you develop sponges, you develop jellyfish, you develop fishes, you develop amphibians, you develop reptiles, you develop man- manuals, and whatever. But if that gets interrupted, like with an asteroid, if that asteroid hadn't hit, we, instead of us being here as mammals, we would probably have an intelligent species of reptiles that would be evolving off of this planet. And so you've got you've got insects that are evolving off of other planets that kind of look like praying mantises that may control some of the greys or whatever. They're kind of insect toys, I, I, you know, and whatever. And you've got a whole variety of different kinds of humans and humanoids, which means that the human genetic material must be be all over the place, all over the galaxy. All right, Ed, hold on. We'll take another time out. Okay. UFOs, Exopolitics, and the New World Disorder at Comerick with us here on The Conspiracy Show. We'll be right back. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Ed Comerick, UFOs, Exopolitics, and the New World Disorder. He is quite the Renaissance man. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on, on uh, Tom DeLonge? And um, the Academy to the Stars and their work well, they, to, uh, yeah, in, in disclosure. They're incredible, and, and they're trying to release information, but they're getting really frustrated because the classified world will only uh, leak out so, so much through them. And so, basically, it's just it's just a drip, drip. 
you know, situation, and, and from what I've seen, they're, they're, you know, they're being frustrated in their ability to get a lot of this truth out, and it's just a superficial truth. It's about the gun camera footage and all that kind of stuff. It's not about the alliances and the treaties and uh, and, and whatnot. It, 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 it's really not that difficult if you think about it. You know, for instance, take a country like Syria uh, that's involved in the Civil War. You know, we just can't waltz into Syria because of, Russia, of the Russians, and Russia just can't waltz in, and we're going to undermine what they're doing. So it, it, if, if a country is unstable and weak internally, it sets itself up for... Uh, superpower interventions, and which makes everything even worse because you, you don't just have a civil war going on in your country amongst your own people. You've got all these other actors from outside getting involved because uh, because some are making claims to this turf and some are making claims to that turf. So we're kind of the, the existential situation we're in, or the exco-political situation we're in, is just like a small third world country surrounded by superpowers trying to maintain its own integrity uh, and, and not get, be, be overwhelmed and caught up in the extraterrestrial conflicts that are mostly covert uh, because the extraterrestrials are, are, are really advanced and so they're really subtle, so they just can't waltz in and take over this world. They have to undermine it covertly, and then the others on the other sides have to try to support this, and that gets into some of the stuff that came out uh, recently uh, by a guy who said he worked, you know, designing some of the craft in the secret space program and all that kind of stuff and whatever. So whenever one superpower makes a move, the other superpowers are going to make a move to counter it. So we're, we're just caught in the middle, just like a small, small country uh, surrounded by superpowers. Right. And, 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 and there are rules about what you can do and what you can't do that the superpowers have agreed amongst themselves. You know, we have certain agreements with Russia that we won't go too far and, and where Russia doesn't go too far in Syria. And so there's a juxtaposition. So the superpowers all have, have these rules, and that's kind of what the extraterrestrial situation is. The extraterrestrial superpowers have rules. They have some predator species can move in and try to take over, but then they will count, other ones will counter that. But it's all according to to a, a set of, of understood rules or whatever, uh, just like you know we have in international politics. Is there a Majestic 12? Is it real? What? Majestic 12, this group that is... Yes, I, yes, I believe so. Uh, I've, uh, I've studied a lot of cases. I've talked to people that were even had connections to MJ-12. That's one thing, you know, you can gather all this information... You know, uh, on the internet and in the, in the media and whatever and try to make sense of it all by sorting through it all to look for patterns. But it really helps as you get involved yourself. So I got involved in some of my own encounter cases that happened here locally because I got, got, uh, there was a lot of new activity going on and I got on the, uh, in, in articles in the paper and stuff like that. So people would call me and I was found there's like one, a couple of UFO, sightings on the average probably every week here and i got in the middle of some encounter cases that involve extraterrestrial humans short stocky ones and then the typical nordic types and whatever they were studying some of the pesticide runoffs and you know ecological damage that was going on in my area here and whatever there's a tremendous amount of scientific work being done by these extraterrestrials 
amongst other things and whatever. They're just not, you know, like the greys, you know, manipulating and trying to get control over this planet, you know, for themselves and, you know, and manipulating our elites to, to do that. There's other extraterrestrials here too. And so, like I say, there's, there's agreements amongst the superpowers as to how Earth is, can, can be persuaded or managed and no one superpower can take over the planet. And so we're kind of left in the kind of stasis, which is kind of good for us because it gives us, uh, you know, we have some free will in this process, just like the people in uh, Switzerland, you know, has has kind of like developed a porcupine strategy of defense and whatever and and not get involved in the wars that were going on around them in Europe and, and whatever and whatnot. Then they've done fairly well, whereas Syria and Venezuela and other countries that are internally weak or whatever are subject to superpower manipulations and whatever according to the different agendas of the different superpowers. Right. Um, we're going to head into a break here in a moment, but I'll, I'll ask you this and then we can we can sort it out on the other side, and that has to do with the uh, the alien abduction phenomenon and, and whether that is uh, sort of a, a false psychological screen uh, that has been created in order to sort of create fear about extraterrestrials, or is that one of the more uh, nefarious alien civilizations that, that is responsible for that? What is your take on the, the abduction phenomenon? Well, one way to keep things secret is to instill fear in the military, you know, is to abduct people, do, mutilate them, and drop them on top of people's houses, which seems to have been done, which causes the military to circle the wagons. So that's one of the reasons of the cover-up to be, you know, begin with, have been instigated by some of these unethical types, or I like to call them just predatory extraterrestrials. You have predatory extraterrestrials, you have some are just kind of in between, and then you have some really advanced ethical types here. So it really gives us people here on earth a choice and if we're going to be uncivil to each other and kill and murder each other and whatnot we're going to fall in and probably be dominated and taken over by the the predatory types like the grays and the manis types and whatever if we treat each other better and we love each other and care for each other and whatever and become more altruistic then we'll gravitate to, to the more advanced extraterrestrial races and we'll have a really positive future and won't be we won't end up being enslaved by another extraterrestrial culture we'll, we'll be able to maintain our independence and be able to to evolve you know in a, in, in a star star trek kind of uh, universe all right and, ed uh, stay stay uh, put we'll come back one more segment with ed comerick ufo's exopolitics and the new world disorder back with more of the conspiracy show right after this The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Ed Kalmarek remains with us for a few moments yet. Longtime UFO ET investigator and activist. He's been involved in the field for four decades. And for the past several years, Ed has written over 200 exopolitical essays on exopolitics, published to his blog and in the, uh, the Internet Press. And uh, his uh, book is UFOs, Exopolitics, and the New World Disorder. Uh, I want to ask you about another phenomenon, and that is uh, the cattle mutilation, which some claim, again, is is kind of a, uh, well, fake news, basically. And again, this is uh, designed to sort of demonize extraterrestrials. Uh, what, what, what is your thought on the, 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 the cattle mutilation 
Well, there's actually human mutilations, too, but that's been suppressed a lot. And some of it is just to instill fear. You know, if you instill fear in a population, they're easy to control. And so that just boils down to, and also they're getting certain things from uh, material, genetic material and that kind of stuff from cattle and whatever and whatnot. But there's just so much so many mutilations, it's unbelievable how many there are, and they're just like clouds have been just dropped from the sky. There's no tracks around, no, you know, they've been surgically very, like, laser, laser cuts, and so that's all ties in with the grays and, and their agenda and whatever, but like I was getting into it, it's basically exist, existential, and that's where you get into my and then my my third book, which is the Enlightenment, the Long Hard Road to Enlightenment, is is that every everything we say, everything we do, everything we think affects our uh, uh, who we are and and what we become. And we have a we are being offered a choice, and the battle lines run right right through us, and. It's a battle, just like the military says, for the hearts and minds of the people of planet Earth. But it's a covert battle, and it's, and it's along certain rules, and they have certain rules about how it's done. But there's a battle for the hearts and minds of the Earth. And every time we think badly of another person, any time we prey on somebody else or hurt somebody else, or we do damage to nature, you know, as well as you know to ourselves and whatever, we move a little farther from our optimal evolutionary path, you know, and maybe more pain and suffering is necessary. You know, the one thing I've come up recently is is suffering is the default driver of evolution. That if you don't, you, you're being presented with lessons, and if you don't learn those lessons and pass those tests, you're going to continue to suffer. And it happens for children. The child hits his head on the corner of the table he hurts himself. He learns not to hit his head on the corner of the table and whatever. So this way it gets into the lightning thing. And then you get into one out of ten people have had a UFO experience, but one out of ten people have had a near-death experience. So, and and Are they connected? not quite as many have had reincarnational experiences and whatever. Are they so connected, Ed? Are they connected, a near-death experience and a, uh, a UFO experience? It's all, it, it's all connected. You know, everything is connected. And what we have to understand is is every word we speak, every thought that we think, moves us either into a more enlightened state or into a more degraded state. So we have free will, you know, in a way, but it's, it's the way our virtual reality is set up or universe or whatever it is, it may be virtual, maybe a simulation, it's basically based on the carrot and stick. You either learn your lessons, you know, and 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 become uh, happy, a truly happy person and satisfied person, or you don't. You keep hitting your head against the wall and hurting yourself until you do learn. And what I've learned in my life is is I don't try not to judge anybody. I have to protect myself from predators, but I don't prejudge them because everybody is learning their own lessons at their own time and their own place and they're and and that's fine and suffering is going to be the driver you know until people become conscious because suffering you know is being driven by our unconscious a lot of times until we become conscious and we move forward and we learn our lessons 
even the amoeba, if it makes moves in the wrong direction, it gets eaten or it gets hurt by something else or whatever. So it's learning. So even the single-cell organisms are, are learning, and they make mistakes, and they pay for it either with suffering or death. And it's the same, same way for us. And so we have to align ourselves with the more, more advanced extraterrestrial races, but also these races that it goes beyond extraterrestrials. It becomes completely existential, you know, and whatever, and, and, and be mentored by the more, more advanced beings rather than fall into the traps you know, by the more predatory tribes and end up being con- consumed and enslaved. Ed, are you a contactee? No, but I've known a lot of con- con- Well, may- maybe. Uh, I've known a lot of contact people. Uh, people have had contact not just with the graves. There was one lady who was having problems with, you know, blood on the sheets and the abduction phenomenon stuff and whatever. And that night when I interviewed her the first time, that night, I was woke up in the middle of the night with this kind of a buzzing like bees, and they were like angry bees, and they said, stay out of it, it's none of your business. And I said, whoa, <laughs> better back out of that relationship a little bit. And I just said, you know, you guys have to take care of this because this is beyond me. And I've kind of backed out for a while, and I met her later on, and she was starting to have contact with more advanced human beings and whatever, and she was she was a lot happier, and she freed herself from that to a certain degree. So I had that kind of encounter, and then one I uh, told you about that we are as you are to your garden, you know, when yes. I was a young you know, young man, and then I got involved in, in cases here uh, and involved other extraterrestrials where my television would turn on in the middle of the night, and I'd never seen this show, The Luck of the Irish, and these little people come out of the side of the mountainside on horseback, you know, whatever, and somebody just turned my television on in the middle of the night right to that exact thing. It just couldn't have been coincidence, you know, involved in whatever. So they're interacting. The more advanced extraterrestrials are interacting with me, but it's basically telepathic, I think. And it's to a degree that that it keeps me safe, you know. And, doesn't you know, if I was having direct contact with more advanced ethical races and whatever, it would probably put me in jeopardy. Uh, by some of the, the elites and the less ethical uh, extraterrestrials that are, you know, manipulating the elite. So the the the, the particular race uh, of alien that you, that one interacts with is directly tied to one's own level of spiritual development. If you're kind of in a in a a, a low state yep. of spiritual development, you're going to be interacting with with greys and and uh, the, the praying mantis or insectoid type aliens. And if you're a higher spiritually developed, then you'll interact with the Tall Ones or the Nordics? Is that how it works? Yeah, I, I, I've actually seen that happen to pe- people. It's a consciousness thing, you know. And in, in my book, The Long Hard Road to Enlightenment, which, again, you can read on your uh, cell phone or on the computer or whatever, I, you know, I get, in, I get into that. All right. Um, so who... Who is responsible, or what what race of alien is responsible for these um, unidentified submersible objects that uh, that people are seeing coming out from uh, oh, various bodies of water? Who's piloting oh, those craft? Yeah, many different races. You know, like when we when we go to the moon, we're going to have underground uh, bases on the moon. Russians are going to have underground bases. The Chinese are going to have underground bases on the moon. Whatever. So. Depending on what the extraterrestrials are interested in here, you know, some of it's probably purely scientific, some may be geologic, 
somebody be you know involved in natural. I was dealing with a contact person in which they were collecting plants and vegetables and stuff and whatever, and they even brought him a fruit that tastes from another planet and whatever. And and so they have this is many different. This is many different. You got to remember the universe is a big place, and there's some some beings that are just coming through here. And, you know, once in a while, there's some that are frequent here and some are here almost, you know, a, a lot of time that have bases. If you're going to be here a lot, you're going to probably have a base. If not, you can just operate out of your mothership, you know, in space or whatever. But if you're going to be active here for whatever your interests are, you're going to have to have a base. And the best place to have a base is down, way down deep into the bedrock or down the uh, underground, then the bottom of the oceans and whatever, so that you don't uh, affect the indigenous populations any more than you have to. Do you have any thoughts on whether or not the President of the United States has the power to disclose? Uh, the President, no. The President doesn't, doesn't have the power. That, it's all locked up in the corporations and the corporate lawyers. You know, the, there was this general that I think he talked to uh, Stephen Greer or whatever and uh, and and leaked some information and they and he and he had this meeting and it was these corporate lawyers and they wanted to know where he got the information from and, and whatever so it's locked up and and what I consider what I talked about in my exopolitics book is a kind of a, a consortium of of of, 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 of elite interest in corporations that basically control this whole matter they they, they control the need to know they control the classification system. And it's the corporate lawyers up at the top working for these corporations that, that, that determine the special access programs and the, and, and the, uh, the unacknowledged special access programs and all that kind of stuff. They even control MG12. Apparently in the Nixon administration there was a split on MJ12 that, that split between the scientific parts of MJ12 and then the commercial parts and whatnot. And so the consortium basically is controls even MJ12 and whatever. What per- that's, that's I can understand. Right. What percentage of of UFO sightings are actually advanced uh, aircraft designed and created by humans, and what what percentage are actual extraterrestrial craft? You mean Earth humans? Yes. Uh, well, it didn't used to be that much, you know, back in the Foo Fighters and eighteen hundreds and whatever, you know, and all those sightings and stuff. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't any. And then the 1940s with the Germans, maybe and after Germany, you may have some with, from the Russians and whatever. So I would now probably, well, you know, who knows? You know, it could be 25% or 50% could be our, be our military. But the thing about it is maybe not because you don't want to fly your, you know, these kind of craft where they could crash into some population area and expose the whole thing, you know. So... It's probably limited, you know, uh, to outer space or, or in remote areas, you know, the more military craft, because they don't want to lose. You know, they, they just lost a $100 million fighter, I think you saw in the news yes. here. The other day. Yes, the F-35. And whatever, you know, and they cordon that whole thing off, you know, and keep everybody from, you know, seeing what's going on and whatnot. But if, if, you, if they had a saucer and it crashed in a populated area and there were reporters around, it would be a hell of a thing to cover up. So, so the military's got to be careful about where they fly, fly this, you know, their, their craft and stuff. You know, it's like that, you know, the, uh, affair where the people got radiated, you know, what was that, around 82? 
that case, I think that was probably a meltdown on a nuclear reactor inside of a craft that radiated uh, uh, those two ladies and a son, I think, or whatever. Right, right. Well, I forgot whatever, but. Ed, it's been an absolute delight uh, meeting with, meeting you and uh, speaking with you. I hope you'll join me again sometime. Uh, give us uh, the websites. Okay. Uh, you can go to k-o-m-a-r-e-k at weebly.com slash, or you can go to fireinnature.weebly.com, or you can... Uh, if you need need some help or whatever, you can contact me on Facebook. You can become a member of the Association of Fire Management Activists on Facebook to keep up with the fire stuff. So, uh, or you can just do a word word search on me, and some of that uh, should should come up. Or even even you've got the links there on we do uh, we, on, on on your web page to my stuff. We do indeed, Ed. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Ed Komarek, my thanks uh, to Foz and Albert and Ryan. Back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.